Back in the 1200s, Edward I was king of England. And uh, he decided that England needed coins. You know, they, didn't have, uh, they didn't have coinage to use, so he enlisted a colony of Italian artists to design a coin for the British Empire, what, was, what it was at the point. And uh, they, they designed a coin. They took sheets of silver and gold and pounded them into shape and then cut them into pieces and then continued to pound them until they made coins with uh, probably Edward's face on them. I, I don't know what all they had on them, but uh, the problem with them was, you know how your coins, the, the coins that you have have little ridges all around the edges? Do you know what those ridges are for? It's not so you can hold on to it. That dates back to the time when our coins were made out of real metals, when they were made out of silver and they were made out of gold. Because what happens if, if you get a gold coin, you, you have what you call coin clippers. And they clip the edges off the coins. And they clip just enough off that they can get it off but not enough to really make an obvious difference in the coin. And so that was the reason they put the ridges on them, so that if somebody clipped one off, you could tell that it had been clipped. Well, in England, they immediately began having trouble with coin clippers. They would clip a little bit of gold off every gold coin or a little bit of silver off every silver coin. And uh, pretty soon, uh, there was chaos because you would take... I know they didn't use dimes and quarters, but just go go with me here for a second, okay? They would take a quarter to pay for something, and they would give it to the storekeeper, and he wouldn't take it because he would say, this coin has been clipped, and it's not worth 25 cents. And so there was, there was confusion all throughout the, the land because the coins say that this is, the, the king is saying, that this coin is worth so much, but it's not worth that much anymore. You know how they eventually fixed that? Well, they didn't completely fix it. But eventually, the clipping a coin was made a capital offense. And you could be executed for cutting a sliver off of a gold coin. I, I think making edges in the coins was a much better idea than capital punishment. But, but that's what they, they began to do. Because once people began to question the currency of the country, the country's in chaos. Now, the currency of Christianity are the promises of God. You know, that's what we have, are God's promises, and, and that's the currency for our Christianity for, for who we are. You know, you can see that in, in your earthly promises. When you promise a child something, for example, you better keep the promise because the child's going to remember. Or if you promise your husband or your wife or, or a friend, it's important for us to keep our promises. How much more important is it for God to keep his promises? And God has made promises, and he said that he would, he would keep those promises promises for us. He made some promises to Abraham. 
you remember several weeks back, actually it's been a lot of weeks back because I was gone, but um, we talked about the way God promised Abraham in chapter 12. He, he made seven promises to him. Do you, you remember those? I don't need to go back and read them. You, just, you, re, you remember those promises that he made. Well, there come a time when Abraham needed to be reassured of that promise. He needed God to, to repeat that promise to him. And that brings us to Genesis, the 15th chapter. Genesis chapter 15 is where we're going to, to read and where we're going to, to look. And the first thing that uh, I want you to see is that Abraham began to be afraid that the promises of God were not true. Okay, so what I want to say to you is, believe God's promises even when you're afraid. Even when something comes up that makes you afraid to believe the promises. Listen to the words in uh, chapter 15, beginning in verse 1. Do not fear, Abram. I am a shield to you. Your reward shall be very great. So in the opening verses of chapter 15, the Lord says to Abraham, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid, Abraham. What was he afraid of? Well, you remember the last week we talked about the battles that he was in, the kings that he was up against. Perhaps he was afraid that his victory wasn't uh, long-lasting, that he would be defeated. Uh, they were surrounded by Canaanites. You know, they, they were strangers in the land. They were a minority people in, in this land, and they were uh, always at battle with, with the Canaanites who were in the land. Uh, maybe he was afraid. Maybe he was questioning. Remember a couple of weeks ago, we, we talked about him and Lot making choices. And he allowed Lot to choose the good land, and he took the, the, the upper land. Maybe he was beginning to, to, to wonder whether or not he had uh, chosen wrong, and he had made the wrong choice. Uh, he was depressed, I think, because of law, Lot's waywardness, because Lot had left the straight and narrow, and he was living in the, the evil city. But mainly, I think he was discouraged. He was discouraged because he's been there 10 years now. It was 10 years ago that God made this promise. And he's been there for 10 years, and he still doesn't own one square foot of land. Not one square foot of land belongs to him. God has promised to make him a great nation, but he still doesn't even have a kid. He's 85 years old and ha doesn't have a, have a kid yet. Uh, he's made no progress towards these promises. In other words, it's like God made this promise and then he went silent about keeping the promise. Nothing was happening. Nothing was, was going well for him. So for the first time in, in the scripture, in Genesis chapter 15 and verse 1, there are two things that happen for the first time. There are two phrases that are there for the first time. We haven't got to those yet. They are these. And the word of the Lord. You know, the word of the Lord, that's a word that we see in Scripture a lot. But this was the first place. This was the first time we're told that, that the word of the Lord came to somebody. And the second 
It's the first time that God says to another person, to a human being, don't be afraid. Fear not. Do not fear. That's an admonition that's given in Scripture 110 times that I can count. Um, But this is the first time God says to somebody, don't be afraid. So if you're afraid, God's word to you is, don't be afraid. And then he gives him two reasons. He says, here's the reasons, Abraham, that you're not to be afraid. Number one, I am your shield. I am your shield. I am for you. I am your protection. We get a, we get a picture of that protection in the, in the book of Job. You remember in the book of Job, in the first couple of chapters, uh, Satan wants to destroy Job. He, he is so upset with Job that, that, he, that, that he wants to destroy him, but he can't. Why not? Because God said you can't do that. You can't do it. And he began to argue with God, and, and he got permission to make things pretty rough on Job, and God let him do it. But Satan could only do what God allowed him to do. And so God is our shield. God is our protector. Satan would destroy you if he could. If he could, he, he would just wipe you out. But there's a hedge around us. God protects us. And, and I don't think we can even begin to understand everything that that entails. You know, we, do, we just can't understand what that means. But God is your shield. And that's what God said to Abraham. I am your shield. You know, don't worry about all those things. Don't worry about those kings. Don't worry about the Canaanites. Don't worry about not having the land. Don't worry about not having a kid. I am your shield. And then he says, I am your reward. What he's saying is, you keep serving me. It's worth it to serve the Lord. Is it? You know, that's a question. Is it worth it to serve the Lord? Is it worth it to to do the things God wants us to do, to to be the people that God wants us to be? You know, when Malachi asked that question in the Old Testament, he says, you have said, it's vain to serve God, and what profit is it that we have kept his charge? What's the value of having walked with God? You ever wonder about that? Do you ever think about that? What's the value of working with God? I was at a an evangelism conference when I was when I was a very young pastor. Uh, I went to an evangelism conference in Salt Lake City, and and one of the teachers there, one of the one of the speakers there, <coughs> excuse me, was a prominent African American pastor from Los Angeles. His name was E. V. Hill, and uh, he was he was a pretty uh, pretty popular pastor. He was a good speaker, uh, but he talked about Earlier in his life, he had been approached by the President of the United States to take a position as a presidential advisor uh, because of you know race things and, and uh, those type of things. They wanted him to be one of his advisors. And uh, he told the President he would think about it, and, and he began to think about it. And, and he says, the things that I kept thinking about was, you know, my the, the difficulty that I have in living will go away. He says, I'll live in a fine house in, in Washington, D.C. 
He says, I'll, 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 I'll sleep between fine sheets in, in Washington, D.C. He says, I'll drive around in a, in a chauffeur-driven limousine. I wouldn't be accountable to a congregation. I would only be accountable to the president. You know, and he started thinking about all, all the positive things. He says, I'll be in the news. When I speak, I won't be speaking to just a congregation. I'll be speaking to hundreds and thousands of people. And those, he says, those were the things that were going through his mind. And then while he was thinking about that, and before he gave the president an answer, he went to Albany, New York, to preach in a, in a short revival meeting in Albany, New York. He says he got there, he arrived there in a, in a sleeting rain. He was met at the, at the train station. He, he was met by an old man in a broken down old car. And before they got to his accommodations, the car broke down and they had to call for help. And then two more times during his time in Albany, the car that he was supposed to be driven around in was broken down and he kept thinking about chauffeur-driven limousines, you know, as, as in, instead. He says the place they had him stay had no indoor plumbing. He said there was only an outhouse. Uh, and he says the, the bed where he was supposed to sleep was, was broken down. It sagged so bad, you know, that, that his, he felt like his back was a bowstring by the time he got up in the morning. And he said he lay there in that bed, in that house, in that little community, talking to God. And he said, on the one hand, I was thinking of chauffeur-driven limousines and silk sheets and being accountable to the president and talking to hundreds and thousands and receiving their applause. And he says, while I was laying there talking to, to God about it, he says, God convicted him stronger than ever that he couldn't step down from his job as a pastor to take a job with the President of the United States. And then he made this statement. He said, God is my reward. God is my reward. You know, do you feel, is God your reward? Is God enough? Is it worth it to serve God? You know, you don't have to be afraid. Wherever you are, whatever's going, you don't have to be afraid because God is your shield. And you can be a certain that God is your reward. You know, that's what makes serving God worth it. And that's what God says to Abraham. First thing he says to him, Abraham, you don't have to be afraid. I'm your shield and I'm your reward. Basically, he put it this way. He said, Abraham, stick with me. We're on the same side. We're on the same side. And, and it'll be worth it. And then he says, we can believe God's promises even or maybe even especially when we begin to doubt. It's interesting, uh, Mike, that you'd bring that up this morning uh, about the philosophy of religion class. Anybody else ever taken a philosophy of religion class? 
That'll make you doubt. I think that's what philosophy professors intend to do, is make you doubt about things. Uh, and, and let's just be honest. There, there are times we doubt the things of God. There are times, you know, especially in the day and time in which we live, there are times when, come on, it just passes your mind. Could this really be true? Could this, did Jesus really die for me? Did God really create everything? You know, you went to biology class and they told you all about evolution. Did it never dawn on you that, you know, maybe what I believed all my life isn't true? And, and you begin to doubt those things. You know, Abraham did. Abraham began to doubt. Uh, and, and here's how he, he, he said it. He says, Abraham said, this is in verse 2, Lord God... What are you going to do? What will you give me since I'm childless? And the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. Abraham said, I don't have any offspring. You've given me no offspring. So one who was born in my house is my heir. And he says, you know, you made me this great promise, God, 10 years ago. And I didn't have a kid. You know, the, the, the person who's going to inherit my home, my, my estate, the, the, the person who's who's going to receive my inheritance is Eliezer because he was born in my house. He was the first one born in my house and I don't have a son of my own. And then it says, Behold, the word of the Lord came to him saying, This man won't be your heir, but one who will come forth from your own body, he shall be your heir. He says, You're going to have a son and he's going to be your heir. And then God took him outside and said, Now look toward the heavens and count the stars if you're able. And he said to him, So shall your descendants be. In other words, he took Abraham out and he said, Not only is one from your body going to become your heir, but look up into the sky. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky. And then verse 6 says, Abraham believed in the Lord, and he reckoned it him, and he reckoned it to him as righteousness. Paul points out in, in Romans that this is proof that it's faith that is our salvation, that faith is the things that brings us to God. Because Abraham believed God and was righteous and and so here's here's abraham's expression of doubt he says lord you said all this was going to happen when when i left ur and and i came over here you said all this was going to happen that i was going to be a great nation you was going to make my name great you were going to make my descendants great but i don't see this happening because of the circumstances that i'm in you can't, prom- you can't do what you promised you would do because I don't even have a kid yet and I'm 85 years old. You know what I'm going to ask you, aren't, don't you? Have you ever felt that way? God, I see your promise, but I just don't understand how in the world you can ever make this come true. I don't see how this can ever happen. I know what you promised, God, but here's the reasons it can never happen. 
and you start telling God why he can't do what he said he would do. I know what you promised, God, but because of the circumstances, you aren't going to be able to carry it out. And a lot of folks let those circumstances push them away from God, push them away from from knowing God. And so we begin to wonder. You wonder about creation. You wonder about the existence of God. You wonder, is is the Bible really true? Is it something we can hold on? You you wonder about the the future. What if death really is the end? What if there's no heaven and and no hell? And, and, And come on. Go, go ahead and admit it. You, you've wondered those things. We all wonder those things. And, and, here's, and here's what God does about that. He just repeats the promise. He gives him the promise again. In verse 4, he repeats the promise. He says, like the dust of the ground. It, and it's the nature of love. That, that's the nature of love, to repeat promises. You know, when you make a promise to somebody and, and you care for them and you love them and you want the best for them, you repeat the promise. You know, almost 49 years ago, I promised a 20-year-old girl that I would love her until the day that I die. And I still make that promise. I make it over and over. She gets tired sometimes of hearing me say it, I think. But, but, but uh, we, we, were, we were listening to an old country song the other day, and I just kept playing it over and over again. I know it's an old one. You probably already heard it before, but it was um, Randy Travis, I will love you forever and ever as long as whatever, forever and ever, amen. And then that got to be my earworm, and I just kept singing but, uh, you know, that, that's the way love works. I, I make you this promise, and then I tell you that promise again, and then I, and then I make that promise again. And, and that's what God says. I, I made you this promise, and, and here's the promise. And folks, really, that's one of the reasons we come to church every week. You know, I, I'm, I'm not telling you anything that you probably don't know, but I'm just giving you the promise of God again. I'm telling you the promise of God that you, you already know. And we need to hear those promises over and over again. That's why I tell you every week, God loves you. God said that he loves you. God sent his son to die on the cross for your sins. And you can receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. I repeat that. And you need to hear it over and over again, even though you already believe it. Because that's the way promises work. And, it, and, and God begins to repeat his promise to Abraham. He, he, and in the repeating of the promise, he adds something to it that Abraham didn't know before. The first time he makes the promise, back in Genesis chapter 12, he says, I, I will make you a great nation. And then later on, he makes him the promise, and he t- makes him the promise, and he says, that's going to happen because I'm going to make your descendants great. And that's what Abraham's working about. He says, wait a minute, I don't have any descendants. Are you talking about Eliezer's descendants? The people who, who've grown up in my household, their descendants? And so God makes the promise clear. He says, no, I'm talking about your own son. 
This promise is coming through your own son. And later on, we're going to discover in a couple of chapters, he even furthers it down. He says, no, 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 no. Not Hagar's son, Sarah's son. And he brings it down, even refines it just a little bit closer. He, he expands the promise. God gives him a better notion of the promise than he ever had before. He says, look at the stars in the heaven. The promises, your, your, your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the heaven. And so he makes that promise concrete because now every time Abraham sees the star, he's reminded of the promise. He's reminded of God's promise to him. And you know, in the New Testament church, we have ways that, that we do that. We, we restate the promises, not just the pastor saying about the promise of God over and over again, but uh, every once in a while, we take the Lord's Supper. Do you realize that that's what it is? It's just a restatement of the promise of God. You know, nobody, no, nobody could have made that up. This is my body, which is broken for you. This is my blood, which was poured out for you. As a, as a forgiveness of sins. And, and we go through that ritual. And, uh, you know, some churches do it every week. Some churches, you know, do it once a year. We do it three or four or five times a year, just to, 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 depending on when I think you need to hear that promise again. You know, it, it's a, and it's, it's a concrete promise of, of the promise of God. You know, you know another, another one that we have, I think, Another one that I have, anyway, is the Bible. God's Word. It's a, it's a concrete promise. You know, if, if you have a problem with doubt, if, if you're wondering and doubting, the, the first thing that I would recommend that you do is that you read the Bible. Read what it says. Read God's Word. Not what people say about God's Word, but what God's Word says. Just read God's Word word we I, I listened to a testimony the other day um, it was on Facebook but it was a um, it was a young man who was who was preaching or, or he was sharing his testimony and uh, he had grown up LDS he was actually gone to school at BYU he was uh, on his mission in South Carolina I think on his mission for the church where you know, that's where the Mormon missionaries are and always coming around. He was on that mission. And uh, he decided that it would be a good thing to challenge the Baptist pastor to a debate. And so he did. And that happens. So, you know, that happened to me a lot when I was pastor in Utah. Uh, you know, they just somehow or another, they thought that would be a great feather in their cap if they could... When, when a Baptist preacher. Well, they debated several times and nothing ever came about it. And he's, you know, he's, he's just giving us testimony about it. And he says, when, when he left, the pastor said to him, I would just suggest one thing. I said, put everything else aside and just read the Bible as if God is speaking to you. Nothing else. And he says, you know, he went on and 
and they didn't discuss anything anymore. So, you know, they didn't win either one's argument or anything. But he says that challenge just kept coming back to him and kept coming back to him. And finally he decided he would do it. He's still on his mission. He's still a missionary. But in his quiet time when he was by himself, he just began reading the Bible as if God was speaking to him. And it wasn't very long until he accepted Christ as his Savior. His mission partner accepted Christ as his Savior. And as he's standing there giving the testimony, there's somebody playing some music. And he says, this is my brother. When I came home, he gave his life to Christ. And he says, my other brother's over there, and he gave his life to Christ. And my parents are sitting in the congregation, and they gave their life to Christ. And it all began because he just began to read the Bible as if God was speaking to him. Not what other people say about the Bible. What's the Bible say as if God was speaking to you? It's a promise that God gives us that we can hold on to, that we can cling to. Because God speaks to us through his word. And if we're not reading our Bible as if God was speaking to us, you know, we're, we're, uh, it's like I told some folks, if, if, if you're not worshiping the Lord in church and you're not reading your Bible as if God was speaking to you, you're going out to face the firing squad of the world unarmed. Because that's our armor. That's how God protects us. That's how God watches us. That's how God keeps giving us his promises over and over and over again. It's something that we can hold on to. So we believe the promises of God. Even when we doubt Actually, probably what we said, we believe the promises of God, especially when we doubt. We hold on to his promise. And then the third thing I think he says to Abraham is we can believe the promise of God even when we're confused. Even when we're confused in that philosophy class. Even when we got a professor trying to ram something down our throat that we're not going to buy. Even when we're confused about predestination. I, you know, we haven't got that figured out yet. I don't think you did. Maybe you figured it out this morning. But if you did, it's, you're the first people who ever figured it out. You know, uh, you know th- th- there are things that we don't figure out. We don't get it all together. We don't get it all. all and the, the thing that we need to do is, okay, don't worry about the philosophy. Believe the promises of God. Believe what God says. Stick with the promises of God. And, and here's what God said. God said to him, I am the Lord who brought you out of Ur of the Chaldeans to give you this land to possess it. Abraham said, but Lord, how may I know that I will possess it? I want to know that I possess it. And so God said to him, Bring me a three-year-old effer and a three-year-old female goat and a three-year-old ram, a turtle dove, and a young pigeon. Abraham brought all of these, cut them in two, laid each half opposite the other, except he did not cut the birds. 
And it says, the birds of prey came down upon the carcasses. They found a feast there and they came down. And Abraham kept driving them away. And Abraham asked God for a sign in verse 8. He says, God, I need a sign. How, how will I know that you're going to keep your promises? How am I know this is going to happen? And, and here's, here's the difference between Abraham asking for a sign and the, the, the uh, admonition not to seek signs whether or not you're going to believe God. And that's this. Abraham already believed God. He already believed God. What he was looking for was, was just uh, show me how to go on. He did not ask God to show him in order that he would go on. He asked God to show them because he was going on. He had already promised. He had already believed. He had already burned all of his bridges behind him. He had already been faithful. And he was just saying, Lord, show me that this is the right thing. That's what he was asking. And so God gave him a sign. And he gave him a covenant. Uh, and, and this was the way in the Old Testament they notarized promises. And what he was saying when he, when he sacrificed those animals, he said, uh, may this happen to me if the promises don't come true. Look what happened. Verse 12. Now when the sun was going down, a deep sleep fell upon Abraham, and behold... Terror and great darkness fell upon him. And God said to Abram, Know for certain that your descendants will be strangers in a land that is not theirs, where they will be enslaved and oppressed for 400 years. He tells him about Egypt. that's still hundreds of years in the future. He says, I will also judge the nation whom they will serve, and afterward they will come out with many possessions. As for you, you shall go to your fathers in peace, and you will be buried at a good old age. Then in the fourth generation they will return here, for the iniquity of the Amorite is not yet complete. And it came about when the sun had set that it was very dark, and behold, there appeared a smoking oven and a flaming torch which passed between these pieces. And on that day the Lord made a covenant with Abraham, saying, To your descendants I have given this land from the river of Egypt as far as the great river, the river Euphrates. What God said to Abraham was this. There are some good days ahead for you, and there are some bad days ahead for you. I think I can confidently say that to you guys too. There are some good days ahead, and there are some bad days ahead. But God said, I am with you. I'm with you. I am your shield. I am your reward. I am with you. And then the, the refinery pot and the torch and a light that comes and, and passes by, passes through there, uh, is, is a sign. It, it, it's, it's, it's the light of God passing between there saying that, that this is me and I'm establishing this covenant with you. And, and, it, and it's a lot like, it's, it's reminiscent of of Calvary and the sacrifice at Calvary and the light of God that shone in the darkness at Calvary for, for you and I. And so Abraham has this foundation of fear. He's, he's being driven by doubt. He's 
he's confused about what he's seeing and, and what's happening. And in that, God gives him a foundation for the fear, a direction to go in the doubt, and a covenant to watch over his confusion. Now that you compare that with Calvary, we have a better covenant. It's not in animals. It's not in torches and pots. It's in Jesus Christ, where the light of the world, Jesus Christ, who is the light of the world, passed through the darkness as a covenant to you and me that God loves us, God protects us, God saves us, and God will carry us home. Isn't that cool? God's promises are true. God's promises are true. And you can believe the promise.